Great customer experience rules the world of business in our digital age. Expectations are higher than ever, and the companies that deliver? They're on top because they know how to harness the power of artificial intelligence and automation. Want to sharpen your acumen? Then tune in to the CX Experience. Each episode, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in digital. From AI and machine learning to analytics and automation, you'll learn it all. And now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. So, uh, real-time analysis is not easy. You know, there's kind of this difference between batch processing and transaction processing. Batch is uh, you, you, you do some reports and you come up with some conclusions and then you act on them. Right. That's not real-time. You know, <laughs> that's how a lot of businesses operate. Real-time is you're on a call with the customer and, and the data is being processed as you speak, as the customers are speaking, and you get these insights on the fly. But to get to that point took a huge amount of engineering, right. uh, focus, and so forth. So it's not easy. But if you can do it, definitely, because it'll it'll set you apart. Yeah, that, that's the key, too, right? And I'll throw this back over to Ian. Companies are always looking to set themselves apart. And to do that, I think you really have to focus on your strengths, especially these days, know what you're very good at. And AI can help you with that too, right? This, I'm, I'm excited about this comment you made about the data is in there. You have the data. You have tons of data. Many companies that have been around for three or more years have tons of data. Certainly companies focused on retail or anything that is consumer facing, you're going to have mountains of data, of clickstream data, of interaction data through chatbot, through emails, whatever the case may be. That is a corpus of data with a lot of interesting information in there. The key is to be able to start mining that and better understanding what's going on. But you can learn so much just by looking at what you already have and then apply that to your current scenario and what you're trying to improve, right, Ian? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's there's a couple of ways you can do this to minimize your risk too. Is you can start out by um, doing sort of the almost the offline sort of processing of this data to figure out you know what are the scenarios that are working well for you as a company and as a customer service uh, department or agency and and how uh, how do you define success and and then go back through that you know haystack of data and say okay of all these things that we saw that we we would consider to be successful what were the attributes that led to that success and then from that you can start picking out features that you can start developing models for to say tell me when we are traveling down the road to success or if this is not being this feature is not present or not being met or how can we get this conversation back on track and then you can use those models to help these customer service agents make sure that those conversations are going the way you want but that's all happening behind the scenes to the customers. The customer's not seeing that this is happening. You're sort of giving these suggestions to the customer service agent. So your risks are much lower because you're not, uh, you know, if you mess up, if you give a bad suggestion, the customer service agent can still, in a sense, override these suggestions by just right. ignoring them uh, or even providing feedback, you know, so you can collect feedback even from the customer service agents and say, like, that was a bad suggestion. I'm never going to do that or whatever. Right. And so, um, <laughs> You can almost try out these models on your internal employees or, you know, if you're outsourcing this stuff on the on the contact centers uh, before you would ever put them in front of your customer directly. And so it's almost a way to sort of make sure that your predictions are right and that your suggestions are right before you, you go to a full-on virtual assistant or something that's going to just straight up interact with your customers directly without a filter. 
No, that's a great point. And, and maybe Tom, I'll bring it back in. So for a chat bot that you deploy, for example, first, just allow it to do the basic things, ask a couple of questions, answer things like address, hours, phone number, the stuff like that, that's real, uh, real easy to tackle. And then just make sure that it's in production and it's working in production. Then you add in another question and you see this all the time. You get the chat bubble say, hey, are you here just browsing, looking to buy, something like that? I mean, you can shepherd the conversation however you want. And, you know, that's the kind of thing for someone who enjoys doing that. That's kind of like a sandbox. It's almost like a playground of being able to, to kind of test market ideas and see what what grabs interest, what doesn't grab interest. Does it work better when we give them suggestions? Does it work better when we don't give them suggestions? And I think you can even segment people into different groups who like suggestions versus don't like suggestions. I mean, there are lots of different things you can do to fine tune this stuff, but you do have to get started and start grabbing the information and uh, assessing in real time how it's all working, right, Tom? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think uh, Ian alluded to this, and that is, you know, you may start the chat bot for internal purposes. So maybe for IT. Right. So what is the the most common question uh, people have for IT? And that is resetting the password. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty simple, but you can actually cut down on a, on a lot of heartache for IT if you have a chat bot that can automate that whole process for you. So you can have a chat bot that just handles IT questions or, you know, questions about, uh, vacation time or HR, all those kinds of internal things. And you're starting to interact with people and learning how these bots work and kind of what works and what doesn't. And so then once you build those muscles, then you go to the customer facing part of it for the chat bot. And then, like you said, the, the worst thing you could do is just do the big bang and just try to, you know, boil the ocean. And usually the you, you get boiled in the process. Come up with a few features. And again, with the IT, start with the password reset and you go from there and there. It just gets better and better and builds on itself. So it's a, it's a learning process. It's, it's not just the AI that's learning. It's the people that's, in the organization right. that are learning. That's such a great way to put it, right? Because we learn together. And I was kind of hinting at that earlier. We need to learn from the machines as much as they need to learn from us. We do want to train these bots or, or other iterations of AI. You don't just have to do chat bots. There are lots of ways you can use AI under the covers and machine learning to do segmentation, classification, optimization. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. But uh, Ian, I love this idea of having something internally focused at first for your IT team, or even from your sales team or whatever group you want, just to make sure it works internally before you face it to the customers, right? That's a brilliant strategy. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, and getting back to even some of the things Tom was suggesting of, of doing some education, I, I think, you know, a lot of what we do is a, is a company that provides virtual assistant for other companies as we educate them on what is a good idea and what is a bad idea. Cause you know, you'll get some company that comes to us and says, Hey, we want to like, you know, do this thing. And we're like, well, that's probably not a good idea to start there. Maybe you should scale it back and do this other thing because your chances of success or even your ROI is going to be a lot higher because so many people want to, you know, chase that long tail, the distribution and say, let's get everything right. Everything that anybody calls in for, let's automate it. And then, you say, well, you're going to spend so much money trying to do all of these things that don't occur very frequently, even if they are, you know, very time consuming to handle. Uh, why don't you focus on the things where you're going to get to see a really quick return on your investment? 
And so one of the things that we started doing as a company was we offer this almost a consulting services. We call it AI Blueprint. But we would go in and and uh, they don't even have to be a customer of ours. Just, just uh, we would go in, we'd send like an analyst with a laptop, right? And they would go sit down at this customer's office and say, like, give us some examples of some of your customer contacts, like whether they're call transcripts or emails or whatever. And the analysts will sit down, they'll go through it and say, okay, they have a bunch of tools that we built to kind of help them do this quickly, but they would service like, okay, you're spending, you know, 40% of your contacts handling this one issue. If Hmm. all you did, you didn't do anything else. If all you did was automate this one issue, you'd see a huge return on your investment and you don't have to do any of the rest of these things. You can just, you know, punt on this stuff and just, just let your people handle it. Uh, And so educating them with their own data that this is really where you should start is is a big part, I think, of success, because then you're setting good expectations. They have um, basically something that that, that they can hang their hat on and say, well, we had a success here. So now we're more likely to to move forward with AI and automation because we had this one success. Uh, Regulation is always a lagging indicator. Uh, and uh, governments usually uh, operate slowly, uh, but you know maybe a decade or two later they'll get to it. But by then the technology has gone in different directions. So uh, we're, we've come to a place now where it's more about self self regulation. Uh, IBM has you know some bigger companies have put restrictions on themselves on how to use facial recognition, mm. and I think a lot of it had to do with just the perception of using this technology and, you know, it could be used in law enforcement or it could be used in, in ways that may deny certain people's rights, uh, you know, could land someone in prison. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it, so, you know, these companies have to be, be, uh, be careful. And so the larger companies are definitely under the, under pressure uh, to do things with this, but then you have all, a lot of other companies that don't really think about it. Um, uh, but I do think over time, um, what we will see, this usually a, a kind of the hallmark of the United States is we have a lot of attorneys running around, um, and, <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, they like to sue companies, uh, for certain things and that they feel like, well, you know, this company, uh, did not provide, uh, credit to certain people, uh, based on this algorithm, which is, you know, biased. Uh, you know, that companies could be on the hook. So it's definitely, you know, something I think for the self-interest of these companies to think about, because I think over time there could be liability and, you know, maybe the next big cigarette, you know, litigation, you know, category could be an AI, you know, 10 years from now. That's a really good point. And, you know, I have to say, I've thought about this before, but Ian, I'll throw it over to you. I think it's a kind of message that really has to get driven home to chief data officers, to chief technical officers, to CEOs, certainly to anyone in communications, but also operations to, to really take this to heart and remember that this is an agent of your organization. So, and it's one that is going to be very prevalent because it's right there on the front lines, right? Anything that's on the front lines is going to affect your brand and how people perceive your brand and interact with your brand. So it's really important to take this very seriously and map it all out and understand the risks and understand what you're trying to achieve and to, and to frankly document that and have it be a pretty clear policy in your organization, right, Ian? Yeah. And so while there's, you know, there's still no formal sort of guidance on, on ethical, ethical AI and in, in industry as a whole, um, there is getting to be a pretty 
large, uh, I guess, uh, guidelines are, are surfacing, particularly around, you know, even like um, within the academic conference publication and things. So I sit on uh, program committees for a lot of different AI conferences, reviewing papers and things. And they always give us sort of like an ethical punch list in a sense, like make sure that they're, they're considering these things in this paper, because we know that they have uh, negative effects if they're not considered. And so uh, you can, you can learn from a lot of that as an organization, just looking at some of these um, sort of review guidelines they have for ethical use of AI. Uh, But, but there's, up front, like product managers and, and product strategy folks. And, and uh, as you're going through this R&D process, you really need to keep this stuff at the forefront. And, and there's some questions that you should be asking about anything involving machine learning or AI uh, that just will save you so much pain down the road if, if they were at least thought through and documented, uh, you know, sort of at inception, or at least as um, you sort of more realize the potential. But, you know, there, there's questions that we ask ourselves when we when we initiate a new project and we have a sort of a project planning template we go through and and some of these questions are on there, like what are the possible harms that exist right. uh, if this technology is being used as intended and is functioning correctly? Like, you know, sort of like it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Could it do harm? And, and another question is what are the harms that exist uh, if it's used as intended, but it's giving the wrong results. So if it predicts something incorrectly, uh, sort of not maliciously, but it just came to the wrong conclusion, what could go wrong? You know, are we going to cause somebody to lose an account? Are we going to cause somebody to do something bad? And and then the the third is sort of the scenario everybody sort of worries about. But but um, you know, what what are the harms that exist if there is misuse of the technology? So you know, you think about face recognition or self-driving cars or those things to things, what, what could, what could, you know, go wrong if, if these things are misused. Um, but then there's also that, that, you know, going, you know, back ways to, I think you brought up Microsoft Tay earlier, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, if, if a system is learning from user inputs or learning from its environment, what checks and limitations are we going to put into place on that learning to make sure that, uh, we can we can catch those things from going off the rails quickly and mitigate uh, you know the damage as quick as possible. And if you're if you have a set of questions like that, or and there's other ones you can ask as well that you just bake into your you know your project templates. And so project managers just like as part of their punch list, they go through this sort of ethical review and they say, okay, we want to incorporate you know machine learning or AI, and let's ask these questions and and come up with the answers at least. You know, at the very least, you've thought about it. Right. Um, and if something does go wrong, you know, and regulation gets involved or you get sued or something like that, you you can at least surface this documentation and say, look, we tried our best. We we have, right. you know, we have this this audit trail to say that, um, you know, we were trying to prevent the best of our knowledge, but this was some unforeseen circumstance or something. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I always think about that too, with respect to regulation and auditors and so forth. If you show that you had a thought process around it, you were trying to avoid that, that looks fantastic. I mean, that's going to save you, I think, most of the time when something goes wrong. And I think you make a really good point. And I'll throw this over to Tom. If you had these ethical conversations with your team, with your staff, with your partners, you're probably going to run across the edges that you should not. Um, breach, let's say. You're going to think at least through some of them. And then you're on the road to good governance, right? If you're 
if you're an ethicist and you really think through the implications of your actions and how they could go wrong versus how they could go right, and I often joke about plans that go terribly right, you have to watch out for those mm-hmm. two. Uh, but if you're on that path, at least you're, you're, you've got some guardrails and some protection. What do you think, Tom? Uh, yeah, definitely. You need to have the checklist and the questions. Uh, but, you know, this is, you know, this, this, a lot of this is new to companies and uncharted territory. And even the biggest companies have problems. These, these issues can get tricky. And, and I think there's a lot of areas in that, in that middle where it's not intentional. It's just, you know, it's, they're trying to do the right thing, but it still has bad results. Right. And that's, these models can get really complicated. And I think a, an example of this is Apple Pay. And um, it was a couple of years ago when it launched, and um, it had this certain, it would, it would use AI to create these credit limits. And quickly, all of a sudden on Twitter, people started saying, you know, my, way, my wife has a much lower credit rating than me. And uh, Wozniak even said that. Said, and, and my, he, Wozniak said, my wife actually makes more money than I make. And, <laughs> and, um, and then people would call Apple and then the customer service people would say, well, it was just the algorithms. Which is like the worst thing you could ever say uh, when, wow. when uh, you have a problem with your AI and a credit limit, and it seems to have a gender issue here. Right. So um, now they fixed it, but what they found is that yeah, you know, and Goldman Sachs was the partner to do this. These are top-notch companies, top-notch data scientists, but and they did not ask, you know, or include gender as data, mm-hmm. but they used certain data that reflected gender. Interesting. And produce results that could skew in certain ways. Hmm. So, you know, earlier in this conversation, remember I talked about data. It's 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 not the exciting part. It's really boring. It's complicated. It's tedious. You got to clean it. You got to wrangle it. You got to do all these things. And that data, if 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 you just don't, it, it can trick you in so many ways. And you know, so you just have to have a really good understanding of that data. And I think that helps a lot. Yeah, I mean, in so many ways, uh, we've seen things change in leaps and bounds. And in so many ways, we're still fighting the same problems we were fighting almost two decades ago. Um, so, <laughs> right. you know, we're we're really uh, we're really pushing uh, you know a lot of boundaries when it comes to data processing and processing power. And you look at models like uh, you know GPT three, and then they're working on GPT four. You know, and this is going to take a couple of years to train this thing and. Um, you know, the, the I, I think these large-scale models, you know, they've they've led to a lot of breakthroughs. Uh, but one of the problems that are still outstanding is how do you know when they're uh, when they're accurate, when they're right, is getting much harder to define. And, and so, um, you know, I'm a columnist for uh, AI Magazine, and I wrote a column a, a couple months ago around uh, just just uh, some of the challenges that conversational AI breakthroughs is is making, and 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 they're as they're getting more human-like in their ability to respond, sure. um, you know, uh, how do you know if they're factually right? I mean, because what they say makes sense and what they say sounds right, but they may have injected or hallucinated some fact in there that just came from Reddit or something they were trained on well before they got to your data. Um, right. And, you know, maybe they got, they got it, you know, there's, there's a good example of, we were just playing around in a, in a lab, you know, the other day, and we were playing around with Bart and uh, this generative model, and we fed it in this uh, call transcript, and we wanted it to just give us a one sentence summary of what was the purpose of this call, 
And so this thing came out and it said the customer called in to sign in for another year's contract to get a discount. Well, that sounds great. But then when you read the transcript, they actually called to see if there are any discounts available. And the, and the agent told them uh, that they need to sign another year contract to get it, which they agreed to. So, uh, you know, the, the, the pieces are all there, but it's in the wrong order. So it sounds like right. they called in you know, to sign another year contract. They didn't, they, they called right. in to get a discount, but they ended up agreeing to, to sign. So, so I think where the future AI is going is, is really weeding out a lot of these, uh, you know, these factual errors and finding ways to, to get models to stop, you know, doing this uh, because this is really honestly the, the last thing really holding us back from pushing a lot of this stuff into production is, is not that it's not human-like or it's not realistic sounding, it's the fact that we can't fully trust that the facts it's extracting are right. Right. Uh, and, and this is a big challenge. That's that's a really good point because AI gets things wrong. I mean, AI, and that's, we you, folks, we talked earlier about suggestions and how AI is best at offering suggestions. Maybe it's A, maybe it's B, maybe it's C, which one do you want? But what Ian is pointing out here is that sometimes in a summation, which is dynamically generated, the engine will grab two or three key important points, but not get them in the right order, which could be a significant change. It could be a significant disparity or just an outright mistake. And so we have to be careful about it. It's all about vetting and it's all about training algorithms. And one of the things I've learned, uh, which I think is fascinating with some of these algorithms is that when there is a significant market change, like think COVID and how COVID came along and through all of these predictive algorithms sideways because human behavior changed so significantly. So there is a time when you have to kind of throw out the old models and bring in some new ones or really at least know when they've gotten far enough off track. You know, you want to make sure that your models are doing what you want them to do. And when they start to veer, or when they start to become less effective, you have to know to change them out and to do something new. Right, Tom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it goes right back to the data question. And the fact is a lot of the data we have is not the highest quality data. Um, you know, there's gaps, there's holes, there's errors, there's bias in the data. Um, so should be no surprise that a big industry in, in this country, if I could predict something, there's going to be continued growth in companies that, you know, focus on making data better and higher quality. Uh, because again, we've got lots of process, a huge processing capability and compute. We have all these great algorithms. Like Ian said, if, if we're just pulling in data from Wikipedia, you know, probably a lot of it's accurate, but some of it's not. And how do we know which is not? And, uh, you know, and if we're driving a car and we're, you know, relying on the AI to make decisions for, you know, whether we make a turn or not, or go over a bridge. Uh, I remember that, that episode about the office uh, when they went into the, into the, into the lake, um, you know, he said technology will kill us all. So, um, you know, we, we, uh, Michael Scott said that. So, um, you know, I think we still have a long way to go. So I think we, as humans, we have this unbelievable ability for pattern recognition for computers, it has to go through so much data that we can just do so naturally and so easily. So there's, there's a ways to go. And I think humans are safe for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CX Experience. We hope you learned a thing or two. And check out Varench.com for case studies, ebooks, and white papers about the ultimate customer experience.